1: Hello, Real Vision people. This is Sebastian Munjava, and today I have a very special guest, Gavin Wood. Um, he is the founder of Parity, Polkadot, Web3 Foundation, and Ethereum. I am so glad to have you here. Gavin, how are you doing?
2: Hi, Sebastian. I'm doing well. Thanks.
1: Um, let's start off with a little bit about your background, um, getting into crypto in the first place, and then maybe a little bit about your experience with Ethereum.
2: hmm um sure you want me to kick off <laughs> yeah 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 tell us a little bit about yourself your background
1: how you how you even got started in the space
2: all right um so i ah, well it's a long story I, I i went to university i did like a phd in computer science um but uh you know i was always uh super into things like game theory um a little bit of like uh social social science political science this was always kind of on the back burner, um, generally sort of pub conversations, but quite in-depth ones. Um, I kind of noticed this thing called Bitcoin back in like I, I, like 2011 or something, but I only actually sort of took a deep look at it into it, uh, into it in 2013. Um, and around the same time, I was actually doing a startup uh, with a, an old friend um, uh, Software for lawyers, so to help lawyers um, do their their, their uh, author their smart author their contracts, dumb contracts, paper contracts. Um, and towards the end of twenty thirteen, I got I got talking to a few people in the Bitcoin community in in London quite regularly. And um, one of the people I met was Vitalik, uh, who was uh, who had just uh, done this like initial white paper for this thing called Ethereum. Um, and you know, I was kind of looking for a little a little gig on the side. Uh so I said, yeah, sure, I'll I'll code it up for you. Um and yeah, uh Ethereum sort of uh took off quite a lot in in into 2014 and 15. Um so I was the CTO, the initial CTO for Ethereum Foundation. Um, and it was sort of basically uh down to me to make sure the thing actually launched, um, which it did happily, uh mid-2015. The workhorse. The workhorse, yeah, that's it, running around. Um And I, I I sort of, um, I left the foundation, the Ethereum Foundation, late 2015, and uh, to do uh, Ethcore, as it was called back then, a sort of private company operating within the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, And that eventually became Parity when we branched out to things beyond Ethereum. We did our own Bitcoin client, and then eventually, 2016, I put forward this idea for Polkadot. Uh, which is the project that i'm still working on that parity is is fairly um uh, un- you know wholly behind now um and it's it's this idea for um basically a, a chain of chains a blockchain of blockchains protocol of protocols so basically going a bit one layer down in the stack and uh, and and seeing if we can sort of abstract and generalize uh, over what we've built before with ethereum and bitcoin
1: and so you the 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 overarching goal of of Polkadot is to what is this for interoperability? What is what's the
2: problem that it's solving? Um, I mean, there's a lot of angles on this question, it's a very interesting one, uh, because we are dealing with such, um, you know, sort of deep tech. Uh, but if you like, I think, I think the one that gets to the crux of it for me is um, innovation. We are solving the problem of innovating fast. Um, so the problem is that you know, if you want to innovate, you want to build a new blockchain, you want to build new business logic, um, you have to, you have to do an awful lot of work to get a relatively small, uh, amount back. Um, and what, what Polkadot does is it, it, it allows you to, to shortcut an awful lot of that work. It allows you to shortcut on an awful lot of the stuff that you have to do to build your own blockchain, but it also allows you to shortcut on things like building your own, um, community. It allows you to shortcut on, um, uh, stuff like being able to um, utilize all of the various other bits that are going on in other blockchains. And it does this uh, by uh, sort of connecting, allowing to connect to those other chains. And it also very crucially allows you um, to avoid having to build your own base, your own security base, right? So blockchains this is very important. They have to provide their own security. Bitcoin famously has this mining algorithm. So it's, I don't know, it uses up Uh, the the equivalent of, I don't know, some small country's uh, energy um, uh, uh, simply in in securing itself. And, you know, of course, the newer chains tend not to be proof of work. They tend to be proof of stake. So they're not using so much energy, Uh, but they are using up a lot of capital. A lot of capital allocation has to go into this proof of stake um, so that the the chain actually is secure because it's this capital that's securing it. The problem is that if you've got many different proof of stake chains, each doing their own different thing, then um, that capital has to be divided between these chains to secure each of them rather than being pulled together and having the whole capital base securing all of the chains. Um, and that's really, um, you know, one of the key problems that Polkadot solves, it allows the same capital base to secure many different domain specific blockchains.
1: And so can you tell me a little bit more about, um, I guess, what how they get this this grouped together security? So I hear this word, um, you know, parachains coming up often. Can you tell me a little bit about how that, that security is different, um, how it's getting its uh, like uh, security from the, the main substrate? Um, as opposed to how Ethereum works, as opposed to how Ethereum
2: works. In essence, um, so there's two different things going on here. One of them, you can look at it as like Polkadot, as a a bunch of different blockchains, right? Independent blockchains doing their own thing. And then every now and again, every six seconds, as it turns out, these blockchains are allowed to send messages to each other. So there's a point during a a sort of um, uh, a a, a, a period, an interval, by... uh, over uh, in which they are allowed to communicate. But other than that, they're doing their own work. A little bit like you know, your traditional idea of a of a sort of office worker. They spend an hour sort of doing doing their own thing, uh filling in forms, writing memos, all the rest of it. And then at the end of the hour they might have some sort of communication. They might take a meeting or have a call or whatever. Um, so it's like these blockchains, these we call them parachains, they're kind of going off, doing their own work for six seconds, then coming back and sort of conferring with each other, exchanging messages. And, and catching up um now how do they get security they share security well that that essentially comes down to this one chain the relay chain we call it, it's the heart of polka dot and this chain has a bunch of validators these validators as i said before they're bonded so they've got this capital backing and this capital can be lost if these guys misbehave so they're sort of trusted in some sense of the word uh, they're, they're, they're kind of trusted they're not really trusted they're acting in their own self-interest right uh, because if they if they misbehave, they lose they lose potentially quite a lot of uh, uh, of money. Now these guys, these guys are split. There's about uh, when Polkadot is like going fully, uh, properly sort of expanded when it's really going, uh, probably in six months time. There's going to be about a thousand of these guys, right? And what, the idea is that we split them into a hundred subgroups of ten, yeah. And each each subgroup, each of these ten validators get randomly assigned to so one, uh, one of these chains, one of these parachains, of which we expect there to be probably about 100. Um, and they check, they make sure that the parachain is actually operating correctly, that no one's trying to do anything bad or malicious on the parachain. Basically, they make sure the system uh, retains its integrity. And th- this gets swapped out every six seconds. And what that means is that even if you compromise one of these groups, um it's very difficult to get a long a long run it's basically impossible to get a long run of 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 blocks of 6 second blocks um, in order to really make any kind of attack feasible
1: so the all of these um, and like you said there there will be many of these over the next sev- uh, several months that are coming out but they are again all getting their security from this central relay chain and can you give me an example of what some of these um, para chains might be doing or, and it can be anything, right? Can you go into a little hmm. bit of detail about like what is possible on these parachains?
2: chains? Yeah. I mean, the, the great thing about para chains, the, the way that sort of, I, I designed polka dot back at the beginning, um, was, was really to try and make it as general as possible. we do that in like, you know, first lesson of computer science, we do that by making it as abstract as possible. So really trying to, um, uh, get rid of any, anything that's particularly concrete or more so. specific is this, more so
1: than, is this more so than Ethereum? Because this is oh, usually the comparisons are like, you know, we've got Bitcoin, then we've got Ethereum, which made it a little bit more abstract. Is this even more abstract than, than Ethereum? Substantially Can you go on a little
2: bit? more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I was I was there back in the day when we were trying to pitch Ethereum to the world. And uh, the. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fair to say that Ethereum is is um, more general purpose than Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a relatively limited ability to be scripted. So you can attach some conditions, some sort of scripting conditions to the payments that you make in Bitcoin, but relatively few. Um, with Ethereum, those that scripting, that those conditions that you could make became substantially greater. A lot more flexible. You could do things like loops in them, which you know computer scientists will will know sort of can give rise to Turing completeness, and this allows you to do all sorts of crazy, weird, and wonderful experiments on Ethereum. But it's a big issue with Ethereum. That's what's called gas, and gas is this idea that you're metering how much computation. It's being done. Every single transaction is being metered, and what the metering means is that every single instruction—these instructions are very tiny little things, things like add these two numbers or look this thing up in in memory. Um, these instructions, each and every one of them, being counted, being metered, and this metering is very, very expensive. And what what that ultimately means is that running running complex, sophisticated programs on Ethereum is extremely expensive. It, it it works. Don't get me wrong, but it's very expensive. You can see this already today with, um, you know, with DeFi sort of slowly being throttled by the amount of uh, 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 the amount of costs associated with the the gas prices. Now, what we do is we say, well, actually, this this level of abstraction is it, it's good. It's general purpose, but it's not the it's not the lowest level that we can go to, and we go to an even lower level. So within Polkadot. Um, We don't have the notion of gas. We don't have the notion of accounts or account balances. Um, We don't have any of these kind of ideas that are, we don't, like Polkadot has Ether, uh, sorry, Ethereum has Ether. And every computer program that you write and upload to Ethereum has to be associated with an account that holds Ether. And every time anyone uses that computer program, they have to have some Ether to pay Ethereum to, to run the program for them. That isn't the case in Polkadot. In Polkadot, it's very simple. Um, the team behind the program uploads their, their program. They do it as a, as a blockchain. So the program is actually a very large program. And it, com- it contains all of the various business logic for, a, for an application or potentially many different applications. And they upload this into Polkadot. And then they, they pay for that program, that, that, that blockchain, that parachain to be there um, by virtue of this deposit of a leasing system. But once it's paid, it's done. And at that point, the users of this computer program never even have to know about Polkadot. They never have to know about the dot token or anything to do with that kind of stuff. All they care about is basically what is the business logic of this chain?
1: Is this like a, so it's like lump sum sort of payment for a lease um, for a certain period of time, then they get as much accessibility to the computing as, as they need. Right. So that's great. And Precisely. so can you. So can you tell me uh, maybe give a little compare and contrast of of what the parachain and maybe the initial parachain offerings that that I'm hearing about um it's like the way that they're kind of bootstrapping their their security sort of can you maybe give a comparison to the ICO things that happened on Ethereum whereas in Ethereum, they were, the ICOs were trying to raise capital, maybe to build out one of these projects, um, which is significantly different than what you're saying is because some of these parachain offerings, I believe, if I'm, if I'm correct here, is that they're trying to bootstrap this like payment that you're talking about for their lease for them to be able to run this constantly. Can you, can you maybe go in a little bit about the differences here?
2: Yeah so uh, I I think you know we're, we're trying to avoid um that, that specific term because it does tend to um it tends to lead to um uh, misunderstandings with precisely what's happening um in in reality what's going on with um so I mentioned leases so there's this idea that we have a, a finite number of slots probably around 100 once Polkadot's dots properly going um and parachains um can occupy one of these slots, yeah, when they run right, so it's like, um, uh, maybe there's a you know, one of the interesting parachains called um, uh, Akala. Um, these guys are essentially trying to make a decentralized finance um chain, it's got like um, Ethereum uh, virtual machine compatibility, so people can easily upload their Ethereum programs into it, but it can also do all sorts of other things. It's got like a stable coin on it, all this kind of stuff. Now, uh, if these guys want to take a slot, then they have to put down a lease. Like someone, someone somewhere has to basically put down more DOT tokens than anybody else uh, in the world is willing to deposit um, for this slot. Now these DOT tokens don't go anywhere. They just get kind of get locked, right? So they can't be transferred out, sold, or anything like that. But they they don't go anywhere. They still they stay within um, the account of. Uh, of that per- of the leaser, right? Of the person who's putting the DOT tokens down, um, and six months or whatever, when when you know how long it takes before the lease um, expires, um, those uh, those tokens um, uh, are eventually freed up, and and yeah, so they don't go anywhere. No one's sort of like they're, they're all one hundred percent sort of stuck within the Polkadot system. They're not. Um, uh, there's no chance of them being slashed or or sort of um, uh, reduced. Imbalance.
1: So, so, and and as a as in opposition or in a difference to like the ICOs that we saw in like 2017, um, that there is no like swapping out. You know, it, this is just to 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 drive home your point more that um, these tokens are just pretty much placed here, left alone. It's not like there's no oh hey, I'm giving you this and you're giving me that. It's sort of just I'm I'm providing security or saying yeah, I think these people need the security. I think this is a good project for Polkadot, so I will push this here and lock it in there. Right.
2: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's just a way of determining the value of one project against another. And the value is just measured by how many uh, how much uh, how many people are willing to lock up how many dot tokens behind this project. But it's only locked up as long as the project's actually got an active parachain slot. As soon as the project uh, loses their parachain slot, they find an alternative means of 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 leasing such a slot, then uh, those those tokens uh, are, are freed up and they they get not returned because that would that would imply that they left in the first place, but simply um, placed back. Under normal use of of the owner, now what we caught now, of course, Akala probably uh, or, and various other parachain teams that, that that are out there don't have those DOT tokens themselves. Um, so they what they want to be able to do is basically say to the various DOT token holders of the world, hey, um, put your DOT token, you know, sponsor us with your do- with a, with a deposit of your DOT tokens. Um, don't give them to us. Just just put them behind our chain, our project, um, as long as it's a parachain uh and we you know maybe you do it for the good of your heart maybe you do it because you think this is a really worthwhile project uh, but maybe you do it because the project is is going to offer you some sort of benefit it might it might give you some sort of uh, on-chain um, um i don't know receipt or record um that 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 sort of can be used in the future for for some um i don't know gain of some sort um now this we call a crowd loan because it's basically like you you're taking to the crowd and you're saying look please loan the system, some some of your tokens, in order for us um, to be able to put forward uh, our our chain and get one of these slots and, and run on Polkadot. So it's it's got a key diff. The key difference is that these tokens never leave um, the uh, the ownership of the, the crowd, right, the crowd members, um, they retain ownership, it's just that it sort of um, gets placed behind a parachain. And once it's placed behind that one parachain, it can't be used for other stuff like staking or other parachains, or, or obviously it can't be sent to um, any, any, um, any third party as well.
1: That's great. Um, I would love to hear a bit about Kusama. Right, and so full disclosure, mm-hmm. I I own some polka dot, I own some kusama, um, but but I I think this really interesting stuff, especially like you know, um, the the kusama society stuff, I think is very interesting. I'd love if you can just give a, a, an overview of what what in the world is kusama, how does it relate to polka dot, um, and and the ecosystem as a whole as well.
2: Sure. Uh, so kusama is a uh, we call it a canary network, canary chain. Um, so, you know, you're familiar with test networks. Uh, this is the idea of um, basically a, a, a network that has no value. Um, Bitcoin has a test network, there's a few others. Um, and uh, that just sort of, sort of sticks around in the background, usually um, software that's going to eventually be rolled out to the main net, the sort of main network. Uh, of, of a cryptocurrency or blockchain will be first rolled out to one of these test nets, uh, just to make sure it's doing roughly the right thing. Um, yeah. But the problem with test nets are that they don't really—they um, can't be used to test the things that require some degree of a value signal. For example, governance, right? Governance—we, you know, uh, stakeholder uh, voting, this kind of. Um, uh, uh, stakeholder participation. This kind of stuff is very, uh, it's pointless to do on a testnet because who's going to be interested in voting on a network that has literally zero value? It doesn't make any sense. No one's going to dedicate their time to doing that. So what we do for Polkadot, because we really wanted to test this stuff, it's very, uh, you know, th- we're breaking new ground in terms of on chain governance with Polkadot, and we really needed to test it before we launched, you know, a multi billion dollar market cap network <laughs> that's governed <laughs> by an algorithm. So we introduced first Kusama, a very low value network, but still a network that in principle has scarcity and that, you know, the, the, the people have given value over time, so Kasama is there to make sure um, that our various algorithms be there for governance, um, for sort of just new features, innovations, experiments that we think might be good but might not be good. They might not work out. Um, these are all things that can be pushed onto Kosama to try it in the real world with real stake, albeit not as much stake perhaps as, as a you know one of the top sort of networks, but still enough stake to make it worthwhile for people to actually interact with, test out, um, and, and for us to see actually how, how, how it works with real people. Um, now in addition to that, of course, we we are is kind of a fast moving, you know, no promises, expect chaos, break it you know, kind of a, a an attitude for a network, which is quite different to a lot of blockchains. A lot of blockchains really push uh, for their stability, robustness, reliability, as you know, Polkadot indeed does. Um, so really, we wanted an alternative out there that's using the same kind of technology but with a completely different mindset. And that's really what Kusama fulfills. It's like, uh, you know, if you've got an experiment, you want to try a social experiment, put it on Kusama. Don't put it on Polkadot. You know, Polkadot's there for like the the, the sort of um, production, you know, industry cap- uh, capable um, sort of applications. Uh, Kusama is really there for, you um, interesting uh, experimentations particularly social experiments the society is one of these social experiments the idea is to say well we've got we've got the idea of blockchain um, where you know you've got these blocks they're full of transactions the next block references the, the previous block and you're sort of building um, a ledger up uh, from nothing uh, out of these uh, references out of one thing referencing in the previous thing um can we do that can we make it more tangible? because like, blocks are not very tangible. You try and explain this to my mother, she won't really know what you're talking about. But blocks, what, wooden blocks, you know? Um, so uh, the society is what's called also the human blockchain and this is the idea that you can make a blockchain out of people Uh, but rather than these abstract blocks full of transactions you've got literally human beings and the human beings um, as a new one is added onto the human blockchain they reference an old one and so we've kind of got this society I think there's 50 members now um, all around the world most of them don't know the others Um, and they each of them uh, um have have uh, tattooed crazily enough onto their body a reference to another member of, of this of this society, and it's all public. You can sort of see the tattoos, and every now and again, one is chosen at random, and they have to actually prove that they still have the tattoo, and they have to prove to the other members of the society um, that they did indeed get the tattoo, uh, and so on. So it's really it's really just a, a, a you know a social experiment, but it's something that that you know kind of using to show that um, blockchains actually can be used to make a um, a, a, a fairly arbitrary difference. Um, into people's lives. And there's a few other bits that Kusama's is doing. It's, it's sort of quite um, heavily in, um, supportive of the art world. Um, so there are a few uh, projects uh, that, are, that are sort of Kusama is funding uh, within the art world to try and sort of bring uh, a bit more um, uh, knowledge about blockchain, uh, a bit more awareness into uh, circles that blockchain wouldn't otherwise get exposed to. Um, and overall, it's like Kusama's uh, treasury. It's on-chain governance, so it has a fairly substantially um, 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 uh, funded treasury now. Um, and they, uh, the on-chain governance, can control this treasury. And Kusama is fairly active in using these funds to support various projects um, to, uh, you know, to bring about awareness and education.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads.
1: Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things that are, are coming to mind as you're talking is one, um, you know, can you talk to me maybe a little bit about, I'm not sure, maybe the cadence of, of so I was reading about like Moonbeam um, is working on um, a Kusama version or or they're going to launch a, a, a project on there. Um, and then they're going to do it on, on Polkadot as well. Maybe can you talk to me about like the process that you would imagine that a team looking to build a parachain, they would would they go to Kusama first and then they would go on to Polkadot or can describe how you see this process?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly uh, one way of doing it. I wouldn't necessarily expect all teams to go um first to a test like we always have a test net that's what's running at the moment. So uh, we call the test net Rococo. um and it's uh it's it's it started just before uh just before Christmas, I think. Uh and it's been it's been uh, accepting uh parachain teams to be um to be brought on over the last uh, week or two um so the first step is is really sort of get your parachain working just on your little local computer the next step is to get it onto rococo we'd expect most people most teams to like moonbeam to, to be uh deploying onto the rococo testnet Um kusama i think is you know they may also choose to do um it depends whether it makes sense to the team to have sort of two kind of valuable networks going uh one Uh, as a parachain on Polkadot and the other as a parachain on Kusama. Could be that some teams don't need, uh, you know, for for their project, it doesn't make sense to deploy onto Polkadot. Could be like a small project, maybe a social experiment. Maybe they don't have that much funding or they can't get that much backing. And that they're perfectly happy with sort of being on Kusama. It could be that another team, um, you know, just jumps straight to Polkadot. They know that their stuff works. They've tested it locally, tested it on the Rococo testnet. They don't need to bother. That For them, maybe the the security of Kusama isn't sufficient, or maybe just that the other, um, the other parachains on Kusama are not going to give them um, a sufficient sort of, um, value add for them to be connected into them. So instead, they just jump straight to uh, to Polkadot.
1: So related to this, um, so one, uh, the governance of these these protocols, right? Um, and and I, I pretty much already know the answer to this question, but I, I want to ask it anyways. Um, who is in charge of Kusama? Who is governing Kusama? Is it Polkadot?
2: no no uh i mean actually the funny thing here is that if anything it's the other way around um but no uh there's about 19 people i think i think it was 19 uh that are it might be 17 one or the other uh, that are governing uh that are in principle the council the kosama council and they they don't have any actual real power but they 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 have some degree of sort of executive power it's a little bit similar to the uk um the u k. political system, if uh, maybe if, I don't know some some people might be familiar with it. but basically, uh, you've any any sort of legislation has to be still put through um the the sort of full chamber or the referendum um, as as it is in Kusama, uh, as we call it. Uh, but um, the the council, which are a little bit akin to the executive body, like the, the sort of government, um, are the ones that most of the time put forward the the sort of things to be voted on. So it's like they say, yeah, we think this is a good idea. Um, please vote for it. And then it goes into the referendum to be kind of uh, voted through. But the, the interesting thing here is, though, that, that polka dots uh, as uh, the DOT tokens, uh, there are. I think uh, we originally uh, mentioned that we're going to be um, giving uh, 10 million DOT tokens, uh, sort of to Kusama, one way or another. We haven't decided. Back when we announced it, like a year and a half ago, um, but as it, uh, the the likelihood now is that we will literally uh, be bestowing 10 million uh, DOT tokens under. The control of the kusama governance mechanism so it'll be fully sort of decentralized um and so in re- in reality kusama or the kusama governance mechanism will have a voice in how polka dot is run
1: yeah and so and 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 i like because i've talked to other people about like this relationship between kusama and polka dot and like because of this governance thing, that's like why asset is that Kusama can become its its own thing, right? And so one of the main differentiators, and maybe you can talk about this as well. I wanted to touch on treasury stuff too, but if you can touch on um, again the main differentiators, um, you know, like you can call it whatever you want, right? You can say, oh, this is a test net or it's a whatever you want to call it, but in reality, it's governed by itself right? The, it's holders, it's beholden only to itself. So it's um, evolving over time. Um, this relationship can really be different later. And, and so can you tell me some of the key differences? Like one of the ones I know off the top of my head is like, um, for decision making, or let's say unlocking of, of staked dot takes like 28 days or a month, right? And then unlocking of of Kusama is like seven days. So there's a significant difference in some of these things. Can you, can you talk about like why those decisions are made or what are the implications of, uh, of some of these differences between Kusama and Polkadot?
2: Yeah. I mean, primarily Kusama is, uh, you know, it's this sort of live fast, die young uh, kind of a network in that it's, you know, it's, it's pushing the limits a little bit harder than Polkadot. It's, and it's giving up some of the, um, potentially some of the robustness and reliability um but in exchange for the very latest technology for the ability to change um for the ability to adapt a lot faster um and ultimately these these to a large degree are a trade-off now you can sort of argue maybe they can add some cleverness and have both um uh both you know very fast changeability and uh extremely high reliability but i would say in general it's, it's a trade-off between the two and kusama is trading off uh the reliability. Um, uh, other things that are, that are like this, probably like the, um, the auction, uh, so the, the parachain lease slots on Kusama are going to be probably four times shorter. So instead of six months, um, they'll be only six weeks. Um, so this means there's going to be um, probably a lot more parachain churn. Um, they'll come and go. Um, there's uh, the governance in general for Kusama has shorter uh, term limits, um, I think the council is re-evaluated. Uh, is it once a day still? I think it's. I think it's still once a day. Uh, but in Polkadot, it will eventually be, become once a month. Um, and in Kasama, it might eventually become once a week. But there's generally this kind of four to one ratio. So if in Polkadot it takes uh, four months, in Kasama it only takes one month. It takes so four. Again, it- Days
1: much faster. Kusama is able to mobilize, add additional technology features, um, make decisions about governance, and maybe Treasury on at four times the speed that that Polkadot can. Right, and and so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Treasury, which I think is like a really interesting thing. Um, Dot Kusama again. Like I, whenever I talk to people, I re- I say Dot Kusama, the Dot Kusama ecosystem. But so um, in in this in this space, right? What, talk to me a little bit about how the Treasury works, or like. Um, be- because DOT does have like a little bit of inflation uh, depending on wh- how much is staked. Is that correct? And can you talk about like the decision-making behind this? Like, I assume that this is so that you can have develop faster, make more. Um, Cause I know Decred had worked on like a treasury system that's taking from some of the miners and stuff. Um, and that helps develop and build a robust ecosystem. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how the treasury works um, uh, how that they're getting funds for the treasury and, and how they deploy that capital
2: sure um the funds come uh actually they come from a few sources so um the source one of the sources that you already mentioned uh this is the um essentially the the, the sub-optimalities of, of the staking system so uh what we do is uh i don't want to get like too complicated too deep down sure. into the maths. But essentially, we name an optimal amount of the total issuance of the dot token um, to be staked. At the moment, it's 75%. So we say, right, we, we the governance of Polkadot, uh, declare that we want 75% of the dot tokens issues, issued to be locked under the staking system. If it's any more, or if it's any less, then um, we consider it suboptimal. Now, as part of the algorithm by which we we sort of um, determine how much rewards each of the validators should get, each of the stakers should get, um, it it, it turns out, happily enough, that at at 75%, to sort of uh, make 75% be the the perfect number for everybody, um, it turns out that only at 75%, do we need the sort of the maximum amount of rewards of total cost to the network? Now we say, well, for the for the moment, it's ten percent, right? So we say ten percent per year is the stake is the inflation, right? So we inflate the token base by ten percent, and that ten percent we allocate to to staking to stake to the staking rewards. But here's the thing: if there is anything other than seventy five percent of tokens staked, then it means we're not going to use the whole ten percent. We'll use less of it. Just that's just the way that the the maths works out. And this means that what we do is we we send the rest of it. We could just not use it. We could burn it. We could not never inflate the token base by it. But instead, we 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 take the more progressive perhaps uh, approach, and and we put it in the treasury, in the Polkadot treasury or the Kusama treasury. And once it's in the treasury. Then we, it's open to being spent by the delegated council. So these 19 or 70, I can't remember, people in Kosama, and uh, I think it's still 11 people in Polkadot. Um, now, th- and these guys can basically, a majority vote from them can, can, can basically spend what's in the treasury. Um, and this is all super in the open. It's all on chain. It's all, you can sort of Go to chat rooms and see what's going on. There's forums and all the rest of it. Um, now, if for some reason the council choose not to spend it or there's nothing good to spend it on or whatever. So basically, if it's if, if there's an overrun, if there's a treasury overrun, budget overrun for running a surplus, um, then uh, we actually burn it so we just we we chuck it in the incinerator and the dot tokens just go out of the system the issuance drops so there is there is this kind of additional deflationary pressure it's not just we inflate 10% per year regardless uh, but we inflate up to 10% and if it turns out that the staking is suboptimal and the treasury can't spend the funds then then those tokens essentially never get issued um What's it being used for? I mean, there's there's a bunch of uh, Kasama has quite a lot of crazy stuff that it's using it for. And actually, with Kusama, rather than uh, uh, you know, it's it's got uh, rather than just being about the kosama network, it's also trying to raise, as I say, awareness in in more general circles. So there's a few artistic endeavors going on with it within uh, that are being funded, and they're own. Fairly small bits of funding, but still being funded from Basama. Uh, Polkadot does tend to be a, a, a bit more uh, focused. Obviously, the Polkadot um, uh, Treasury is, is, you know, sort of has more notional sort of uh, capital funding. Uh, owing to it being a, a sort of widely uh, more val- uh, more valued network, uh, but uh, the sort of stuff it goes on is running infrastructure within the community. So uh, one of the thing, one of the first funding uh, things that the Polkadot Treasury was used for was running a, a very uh, sort of widely used block explorer, blockchain explorer. So you know, a website where you can check the history of transactions, that sort of stuff. Um, also, development. Various projects have been have had their technology uh, been funded um, by the Polkadot. And of course, this is all open source, so everyone can benefit from it. Um, Then there's a few other bits. And so there
1: these people that are wanting to get funding, right? Let's say your example of uh, a block explorer, this person would say they would Put in a proposal, right, to the Treasury to say, hey, uh, I think I can add value to this network. Can I get some of this inflation or this Treasury funding? And then um, then the group of people, the council would be making a vote to say, yeah, we think that that is worthwhile um, for us to use those Treasury funds to build out this infrastructure,
2: Right. That's exactly right. Now, the interesting thing is there are actually three ways of uh, that the treasury can sort of be used. Uh, three uh, uh, whatever methods. Methods. One of them is is precisely that. So it's like someone comes forward. They say, "Hey, I, I would like. I, I've got a proposal. Please give me some funds because uh, I did this cool thing, or I want to do this cool thing." Um, it's it's great for polkadot. It's great for Kusama, Um and the the, the council votes on it. Fine. Uh, there are two other ways. One of them is that is what we call the bounties. So this is the opp- opposite way around. This is why the council says we want this really thi- this thing doing uh, and we will pay this much and we're delegating this um curator to uh, to make sure that it's actually done and that they they basically are in charge of of uh, making sure that the funds are properly spent. Um but we we want this goal achieving who out there would like to achieve it. So they kind of put out a sort of call to action or a a sort of request for proposals sort of thing. Um, And then the other thing is what we call uh, on-chain tipping. Uh, So this is where uh, basically someone has done something, usually a very small thing, uh, but still something that's, you know, it's a nice thing. It's like, you know, maybe they've written a little blog post or, or, I don't know, done some nice... Pottery or something somehow, you know, made 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 more people aware of, of, of the network or done some useful education or technology for it. And um and basically someone will report this as a sort of a nice little good thing. And they'll say, I and then the council, rather than having a specific spending proposal, they'll just the council will, each of the members will put, say, yeah, I think this should be tipped, one and a half dots, right? And then yeah as each of the council members fill in what they think it should be, it's worth, if it's worth a tip at all, what sort of tip it's worth. Um, they'll eventually uh, be a quorum of council members. Like um, I think it's usually half of them, maybe half plus one. Um, and at that point there's a countdown and it's like 24 hours in case any other council members want to chime in and, and and put what they think the tip should be. And then after that, it's just the median. And so the median tip is chosen and it's given to the uh, uh, to whoever reported it, or, or split between whoever reported it and whoever actually did it. Um, and this this really just allows a much faster moving process, rather than having to you know, well, I'm thinking of doing this blog post. I would like to be paid such and such for yeah. it, um, and all the rest of it. Uh, it's, it's just much uh, much faster.
1: So also with related to governance and treasury and stuff, uh, I believe that there was this thing that I read about, like you know, Polkadot, Kusama, they're trying to be like forkless blockchains is that correct and can you can you explain what that means and what the benefits are to that
2: Yes. Yeah. so this is um this is something that i personally uh, worked on uh, it was sort of my little baby that i did uh, uh when i started i i worked on three years ago now But it was uh, it was the first thing i worked on with uh, with regards to polka dot um uh, essentially polka dot is does things differently to uh, almost every other protocol out there uh, including the the very well-known ones um, it's what what's called a meta protocol, um, a blockchain meta protocol. What this means is that the the protocol, the thing that people associate with Polkadot, so parachains and governance and balances and DOT tokens and all that sort of stuff, that's not actually part of the underlying protocol. That's the underlying thing that runs on the network, right? That's actually a business logic that sits on top of the protocol, and it's entirely programmatic. What that means is it can be swapped out at any point in Polkadot's future for some other business logic alterations to it. Um, The actual protocol, the thing that sort of is defined as being Polkadot and is very difficult to change, is actually very, very thin. It's all it is is the sort of underlying consensus Um, which are called Babe and Grandpa. It's it's a hybrid consensus split to two bits, a bit similar to Ethereum uh, 2's consensus and sort of a a fairly uh, substantial uh, move forward from all the uh, existing consensus mechanisms and a layer on top of that that just says how to execute business logic and we sp- we explicitly chose the most general industry uh wide widespread industry adopted um, um uh uh, language, if you like, for that called WebAssembly. It's backed by Google and Firefox and Microsoft and all the big ones. Um, it's very well understood. It's got a lot of uh, uh, sort of big tech backing. Um, it's simple. It's well designed. Um, it's very highly performant, very efficient, uh, lots of good implementations. So it's got its big community around it. So basically, we just said, right. We don't need to invent our own thing. We're not gonna we're not gonna reinvent EVM like the Ethereum virtual machine like we did back in the day. This is gonna be industry standard, WebAssembly sorted. So we basically just plugged WebAssembly into um, block the sort of blockchain consensus and a database and stuff. And that's what we call substrate. Now, this is what Polkadot runs on. And all the stuff to do with Polkadot pretty much runs on top within this kind of WebAssembly thing. And that means we can switch it out. And what this means is that we can do upgrades to it without having to do these horrible hard forks where we're actually altering the underlying protocol. And because the, these hard forks are really messy, and if there's ever any disagreement over whether they should be done or not, it's like, oh, no, I don't think this upgrade should happen. I don't think, you know, it's, maybe it's political. You're going to get, like, people disagreeing. Then you're going to end up with forks of the network. So you're going to end up with another Ethereum Classic or whatever. Yeah, can we,
1: can you can you walk the audience through, like, well, what is a hard fork in general and why do we want to avoid it? So maybe maybe you can talk about Ethereum Classic or just give an example so our audience understands like what is a hard fork why do we want to not do that
2: sure so i mean basically uh, blockchains are consensus systems right so they they exist as a way of allowing people many different economic interests, often around the world and the different uh, jurisdictions uh, that may not be especially easily compatible, um, they allow all these economic actors to participate under the same economic rules. Now, this is a this is a fundamental innovation. It's why people are so uh, excited about blockchain, because it allows for this consensus to happen independently of any of the legal systems that exist in the world, any of the financial systems that exist in the world. Um, but what happens if you need to agree something that isn't a part, isn't within this consensus, isn't within the scope of forming a consensus? Bitcoin, you know, allows you to form a consensus over who was paid Bitcoin in the past and who to Um but it doesn't allow you to form a consensus on how Bitcoin should be upgraded. That's not within the system of Bitcoin. The system of Bitcoin only considers account balances and whether a particular um, a transaction has been spent or not. Um, same with Ethereum. Ethereum is very good at, at sort of um, forming consensus over certain little computer programs, but it can't form a consensus over how Ethereum itself is going to adapt and change into the future. That's outside of the system, that's outside of the scope of Ethereum's consensus. The same is true basically for every blockchain out there, apart from Polkadot. With Polkadot, um, the entire system, the business logic of Polkadot itself is contained within the Polkadot consensus. Now if you don't have this, then you have to find another way of achieving consensus. outside of the system, right? You have to find a way of like of all of the participants of the system, all the stakeholders, um, forming a, a consensus. Now, this might be done by having a benevolent dictator who just says, this is what we're doing. It might be done by having a, uh, a vote and everyone committing to the outcome of that vote. But as we've seen in recent uh, <laughs> history, it's not always so easy to even agree upon the outcome of the vote, let alone uh, get everyone to agree to committing to it in the first place. Um, And what we end up with is the problem uh, that Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone through in the past, where we see uh, Bitcoin has forked off into Bitcoin. Cash and Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, and Bitcoin gold, and Bitcoin diamond, and all the rest of the other little bitcoins. And that, because this consensus couldn't, it wasn't, there was no way of forming a consensus long term over how the protocol should be changed, should be adapted and evolved. Um, and the same with Ethereum. You know, there was a political decision to be made in Ethereum back in 2016 when there was a, this big hack, the DAO hack whether the funds of the DAO that were hacked in the DAO hack should have been um, basically uh, returned, rescued and returned to the original owners or not. Um, and this this uh, this basically caused a split in the community. There were those that said, no, code is law. Uh, these funds must remain hacked. Um, and there was the rest of the community said, no, actually, we should just try and fix things. It was early on and sort of made excuses. And uh, these two different political viewpoints led to the two different Um, uh, blockchains that we now have, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Now, I think um, that the big issue is that these hard forks, there's always going to be contention and people will always make something sort of political about them. and because they're not governed by any kind of uh, automated consensus mechanism, it means that it were, the be- we're sort of beholden to soft forms of consensus—human humans interacting—and that's you know without any sort of authority governing them or any kind of um, uh, economic system that they've all bought into. And that leads to uh, these problems. And Polkadot explicitly avoids that by making the protocol part of consensus
1: so polka dot kusama it's more of alive it's an alive protocol that has its own um, meta governance is that what like because it's governing its governance or it has a and and so are there risks are, are there risks with this because like i i have heard previously you know i i've been in the space since 2013 and i've heard that you know um hard forks can be good because it's, you know, two communities doing what they want or how they want. Can, is there any concerns from from having a forkless
2: protocol? It's not an argument without merit. I think there are um, good reasons to try lots of different things. Um, however, uh, schism in, schisms in a community um, are, uh, as we've seen in the past, are toxic. Um, they, they ultimately lead to negativity on on every side. Uh, and that is um generally against you know sort of the happy innovation um that that we've that we see in general in a, in a sort of well functioning community um so i i i accept i would I, I accept and actually believe in 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 you know running experiments running multiple different um potential um ways forward at once and then sort of i don't know competing them and somehow picking the best one and running with that. But there need it needs to be sort of under some sort of order. It's no good just having uh, explosive um, you know, uh, uh uh ways of trying multiple things because there's no path to getting them back together again. Um and that's a big problem. Whereas uh, how we uh, actually polka dot is is one of the very first things that 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 sort of um came to mind with Polkadot, because it's a heterogeneous sharded multichain, so because it's got these different shards, these different parachains, and they can each be their own thing, right? They can each do their own individual thing. It's a little bit like uh, a, a critique of the United States that I read um, uh, in a few years ago in The Economist. So it's basically this idea of a uh, federated system can run many different uh, sort of policy experiments in each of the different states. And the ones that work, can be elevated to federal status, and the ones that don't work can just be dropped. And it's sort of the same in Polkadot. We can actually do the best things of, of, that are called caused by hard forks, which is to say um, policy or protocol experiments, but we can do them at the level of parachains, and we can run them all in parallel one in each parachain. And the ones that tend to work, we can elevate into Polkadot. The ones that don't work so well, we can just leave as parachains or drop altogether.
1: So to make sure I'm I'm, I'm understanding this, uh, you're saying that Polkadot acts sort of like a little bit like the federal government, whereas each of the parachains are being like the states and they're getting like their meta governance. They have their own rules. So uh, say this again, you said they're heterogeneous, Hydrogen
2: uh, uh, is uh, sharded, yeah,
1: multi-chain, yeah. So, so basically, again, uh, this means, uh, as opposed to Ethereum, each of these projects building on top of Ethereum, that they are required to use the same blockchain logic as each other because they're all they're uniform things. Whereas when we talk about parachains, they're not as uniform. They're just getting their their security from this this. Standard thing. They each have their own blockchain logic, their own rules, their own rule sets. They can they can just like the states have their own rules in deciding if this is legal or that's legal. Um, that's one of the big differentiators between Polkadot and its heterogeneous shards, meaning that they have their own blockchain logic. And anything happening on Ethereum, um, that the 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 projects happening on the coins built on Ethereum, they're still beholden to the same. Type of logic, right? And that's, can, that's it, yeah. can you tell me the can you tell me the benefits of um, utilizing different logic or having the capability to use different logic? I'm uh, I'm just unsure about how much more expansive that world becomes by having the heterogeneous
0: chains. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-A-D-S dot com.
2: Sure. Uh, it's, uh, you, can, you can think of like a smart contract uh, network like Ethereum and, and there's a few others. They build in roughly the same um, architecture. Um, a little bit like the civil law system uh, of, of, of like the modern world. Um, so you can get lawyers and they can make you up a contract. Um, and this contract, you know, can do lots of, Different thing. I mean, it's if you talk to a lawyer, you can generally get them to basically write whatever you want in the contract. There will be certain statutory requirements um, uh, that the un, that the overarching legal system places upon you, and it will be different between legal systems. Um, for example, companies law in the UK uh, it makes it very difficult to have uh, give different shareholder rights or restrict shareholder rights within a company. In the US, um shareholder rights are a lot more um, uh, certainly in some states are a lot more um, uh, uh, flexible. You can you can basically kill all rights or give all of the rights to just a single shareholder or whatever. Um, that's not the case in a lot of other countries. Now, that you can think of Ethereum's uh, generality as being the kind of generality that you get within a particular jurisdiction um, over what kind of companies, what kind of civil law it has. It will exist within that jurisdiction, and it won't be able to call upon civil law in other jurisdictions. It will have um, the, the, the costs and the benefits of whatever the civil law is in that jurisdiction. What Polkadot gives you is the ability to have um, basically whole other jurisdictions. So you're not required to exist just under one particular country's um, legal system, uh, jurisprudence, um, court system, uh, lawyer uh, framework. Um, you, uh, you can choose. You can make your own. You can say, actually, there's this, this blockchain is only going to have financial laws, and the laws are going to be um, extremely heavily regulated. And you might have another blockchain that says, uh, we have zero regulation. Um, now, ethereum can't can't sort of or the ethereum architecture i should say can't really do this because it's beholden to the same underlying uh, blockchain logic it's a smart contract chain it has particular uh, definition of what gas is it has a particular definition of like ether it has a particular definition of how ether and gas interact it has a particular definition of how smart contracts these different computer programs interact um and though each of these things cannot be changed they're baked into ethereum and if you, you want to use Ethereum, you have to buy in to this legal system, this crypto legal system. With Polkadot, you can define your country however you want, you can define your laws however you want, you can define your economy however you want. You're not you don't have to buy into any of this pre-existing stuff. Um, and that that leads to a huge amount more sort of experimentation that's possible. For example, um If you don't want your users to have to hold your tokens in order to interact, but instead only provide a verified Facebook identity to be able to interact, let's say, once or twice a day, you can do that. That's fine. You just write your, your blockchain logic so that instead of verifying that when a transaction comes in, it's from a particular account um, uh, that has some tokens uh, that you're going to deduct in order to pay for the transaction to execute, as Ethereum does, you check to make sure that the uh, account is, uh, is referencing something that's on Facebook. Uh, that the Facebook account is active, that it's been verified by Facebook or has a certain number of friends or whatever it is that you want, um, and uh, that it hasn't made more than a few transactions already today. Um, that's entirely possible. And it opens up like a whole new way of designing your uh, application's economics. To put it another way, you can implement Ethereum inside of Polkadot, right? You can make a parachain, and indeed there is a parachain, it's called Moonbeam, uh, that is to all uh, intents and purposes, the same as Ethereum. You can't make a smart contract in Ethereum that does the same as Polkadot. You wouldn't be able to pay the gas costs. It would just be impossibly expensive. Um, uh, And that's the sort of key difference. uh, Polkadot exists sort of lower in the stack. Ethereum, we call it a layer one blockchain because it's like a, a sort of Notionally the first, and you build layer two applications on top of it. But you can think of Polkadot as a layer zero blockchain because it sits underneath the 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 level of Ethereum. So things like Ethereum, like Moonbeam and Acala, build on top of Polkadot. And Polkadot sort of sits as a foundation layer that's just there to give security and, and inter interoperability between its its constituent chains. It doesn't do anything more than that.
1: I've heard you say this um before, and I'd like this is basically what you're talking about. And but uh you said like Polkadot is a, a bet against maximalism. And is that that's kind of what you're touching on right now is because you're saying like um, these different dur- jurisdictions have different rules, but we're uncertain about what the best rule sets are, what the best jurisdictions are. So because of this, because we know we're not certain yet what the best rule set is – Polkadot allows you to experiment with all the rule sets, and so um, I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit more about this idea of it's a bet against maximalism.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean, there is definitely that that thing that we don't know what the best one is. But I think even even still, even if we did know what the best one is, I think there isn't really a best one. There's there's maybe a best one for a particular kind of application there's maybe a best one for a particular industry or domain but i don't think there's a best one period i think this this idea that that has been sold as like one blockchain for every application that you know has been very has been pushed certainly by elements uh, of the commu- of the ethereum community um i think it, i don't think it, it exists i think uh, ethereum is a great chain for uh, prototyping um sort of uh, blockchain experiments on uh, but i Definitely, if i were if i were doing like for example a supply chain um uh um uh, uh infrastructure then why would i build it uh in, in in smart contracts that that have to be metered like that have that are these really yeah. inefficient metering systems i know that I, you know I, I i know what these contracts are i know basically how long that they take to execute why am i every time a user is using them re-measuring how long it takes to execute. Now, of course, if if there are many different contracts and you can't predict ahead of time which one is going to be used, um, and anyone could introduce any contract at any time, uh, like a very general purpose, very sort of prototype heavy system, then of course, metering is probably the only way that you're going to. That, that that can happen but for so many domain specific applications it's just not needed it's it's too heavy duty it's much better to actually make surprise surprise a domain specific blockchain right but the problem is with domain specific blockchains that they they cost they're time consuming to build and because they exist only as a blockchain um they they can't talk to other blockchains very easily. So they don't integrate well and you can't compose them with each other very very easily. So that's where Polkadot comes in, right? So it's like Substrate, which is our blockchain development toolkit. Uh, makes it super easy to build your own blockchain. And we're sort of seeing some some great news articles about people building their own blockchains uh, in various industries. The one that I read most recently was this uh, Korean music publisher that's building a blockchain for um, Korean pop bands, uh, non-fungible tokens. Yeah. Brilliant, lovely. Um, But yeah, we're seeing these domain-specific blockchains um, uh, come out because they're just so much more efficient, more more performant than doing things in a general purpose environment. And then, of course, um, Polkadot allows these domain-specific blockchains to be deployed into Polkadot and talk to each other and share the security together. Very important so that you don't have to pay your own validators uh, or or otherwise have have a very centralized proof of authority. Um, so this is this is where the uh, the sort of uh, really interesting uh, performance benefits come from. It's not just about parallelizing all of it, which is already great because we've got for one polkadot relay chain now a hundred different blockchains, each whirring away processing transactions all at the same time. But each of these chains, each of these shards. Is, uh, is domain specific. So it's optimized to be highly performant for its specific use case. Now, this is something that you don't get in a in a typical homogeneous sharded system like Ethereum 2, where each of the shards, although there might be 64 of them or whatever, um, but they're each doing the same thing, that each general purpose. And that means that none of them are gonna be very performant for any of the tasks that they're doing.
1: I see, yeah. Uh, no, very interesting stuff. I- I'd love to hear about your thoughts on What's happening in the space um, in Polkadot, Kusama specifically over the next, let's say, year or so? What what are you anticipating? What are you you know you had touched on the launching of these parachains? Is that supposed to be happening soon? Tell me a little bit about the future of, of Polkadot, Kusama.
2: Yeah, uh, right. So if we I mentioned Rococo. The test net for parachains has been uh, launched in the last month, and they are on, we're slowly onboarding each of the parachain teams. I think we have about. Fifteen of them, or so, fifteen or twenty that have um, uh, that have already got their their, their, their stuff together. Their, their software, their their parachain, uh, and they're ready to uh, put put it onto um, onto the, the the testnet onto Rococo. Uh, once we're happy that that code is running reasonably smoothly, uh, then we will roll it out onto Kusama, um alongside, of course, the Kusama auctions. Uh, so the the, the the these these slot auctions and the crowd loaning. Uh, system so that people uh, across the customer stakeholding ecosystem can back uh, their favorite parachains and maybe reap some of the rewards that the parachain teams are offering them for their backing. so uh that's that's probably coming in the next month or two uh once we're happy that Kosama has it, it, everything's working as we expect in Kosama, and once the external audit is completed we have a, an external audit firm on retainer that's just basically churning through all of this new code as we develop it um once they're happy that this is uh safe and secure then we will be uh, deploying it onto Polkadot. Um, our uh, tentative goal for that is by the end of this quarter. So uh, fingers crossed that that, that comes through. Um, once that is done, uh, there will be an initial version of XCMP, this cross chain message passing. Uh, protocol. So this is uh, the way that these parachains can send messages to each other, communicate, as I mentioned, like every six seconds, they can sort of send messages. Um, and that will be also uh, uh, within this first delivery, this first scope of delivery at the end of Q1, hopefully. And then uh, over this uh, first half of the year, we'll be optimizing this XCMP into a, a, a more or less off-chain version of it, which basically dramatically increases the efficiency, increases the number of messages that they can send to each other, decreases any of the costs associated with it, and so on. Uh, There are a few additional technologies. Uh, One of them is called SPRE. This is a very exciting technology. Um, It stands for um, Secure protected runtime execution enclaves. And what it basically means is that uh, you can have little programs that run inside these parachains um, and they're all run separately, right? So you've got, they all run with the parachain in parallel to each other. So like you can manage 100 copies of this program all running uh, within the scope of the parachain, uh, but it's the same program. So it's sort of like the best of both worlds. You get um, heterogeneous domain-specific you know, industry-specific blockchain sharding, but you also get a little bit of the computer program in the shard that is the same across all the shards. So it can do things like handle token balances, and it can send things like tokens or assets between the shards with a guarantee that the code on the other side of the message is going to execute correctly, execute as you imagine. So um, in token, very simple execution, reduce the balance of one account, increase the balance of another account by the same amount, very simple sort of transfer operation. But we can imagine there might be a few more of these different little snippets of code um, that have their own uh, protected storage associated with them so they can maintain the balances. And this is very important so that uh, parachains that don't trust each other's logic They might trust that whatever their logic is is executed correctly by Polkadot because they all run under the same validator umbrella, but they don't necessarily trust that the logic itself is doing what they expect it to do. That when they send a, Hey, transfer this asset, please. That it's actually going to reduce the balance or, of, of one account and increase of another. Now, um, what uh, and so what Spree does is it gives them that guarantee. It allows the best of both worlds: both your expect- uh, homogenous sharding and your heterogeneous sharding.
1: And we expect that in, in the near future. When when do you expect the Spree to come?
2: Uh, that I expect to land uh, finger in the air um, uh, Q three. I would say probably Q three this year.
1: And so. Do you imagine that most of the fruits of your labor will be going by the end of this year, right? Like, so you're saying this, the spree thing, you're talking about all of these parachains. I mean, do you expect to see lots of, do you expect to see DeFi basically
2: uh, existing on Polkadot by the end of the year? Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, there's already plenty of DeFi chains, and we've got some amazing teams, some really great talent out there developing parachains. The great thing is that, you know, I mean, for me, it's out of my hands. Like, you know, our job here is to develop Polkadot and deliver parachains and make it as efficient and stable as possible. and you know, uh, it might be that when that's done, that we will sort of start playing around and developing a few parachains of our own, and, and maybe developing some of the core technology of parachains. But basically, uh, our job is to deliver, is to deliver Polkadot, and as an application uh, platform, and it's, it's 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 our wonderful ecosystem of I don't know. I think I last read about three hundred and forty projects and counting um, that are developing that are de- that are developing um, the the layer ones, right? These Platforms. So, Polkadot's a platform of platforms. Yeah, are platforms themselves um, that are um, providing, um, you know, the 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 infrastructure for doing things like um, decentralized finance and supply chain and registry tracking and uh, NFTs and all this crazy, uh, crazy imagine, uh, crazily imagined stuff uh, that's going to sort of um, uh, some of which is going to be really world changing and. So yeah, um, it, it's great, and I have a I have a huge amount of confidence in in, in many of these teams.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Any any last things you'd like to say to the audience about uh, Polkadot or how you see the future, the ecosystem in general?
2: I think we're sort of in an interesting time for the ecosystem, particularly with with uh, with polkadot. I mean, obviously, my, most of my time and efforts have been focused on polkadot. Uh, it's uh, it's rare that I actually get a chance to look up and look around and see what what the rest of the world is doing, and that's even more so in the last year with uh, you know no conferences and all the rest of it. Uh, but I, I do think it's uh, it, it's really uh, a great time to be in this ecosystem. I think we are. Um, Sort of entering blockchain 3.0 um, uh, slowly but surely, um, and I, I think uh, it's important to look behind, um, you know, the the claims um, to work out where the sort of true actors in this golden age are, uh, and and who are the sort of maybe the ones that didn't quite make it into blockchain 3.0 and are still at 2.5, because I th- I think uh, I think on the face of it, it's not always so easy to distinguish. Um, so it's really important to um you know if you're trying to make any kind of uh uh judgment evaluation it's really important to get a proper um sort of developer-led technical evaluation of where the protocol's at um and maybe also a sort of proper game theoretic um evaluation of what the protocol does um and not not buy too much into uh, a lot of this uh you know sort of hype surrounding it and the only other thing i'd say is you know be aware of the distinction the difference between um evolution and revolution uh, i know uh, you know as as having done ethereum you know we we brought a sort of new kind of architecture into the world with ethereum this idea of the ethereum virtual machine the idea of smart contracts um and uh, you know uh, you know proud as i am uh, about that it is ultimately uh it's technology that's now six seven years old uh and um we're still seeing blockchains um sticking to that architecture sticking to this you know very um sort of uh, smart contract gas consuming um dynamically metered um, architecture that we introduced in ethereum way back then so um that's all very well and you will see evolution on that you will see people um improving performance you will see some some changes to things like transaction propagation, just trying to eke out that, that sort of uh, improved um, uh, level of transaction throughput. But ultimately, if it's using the same architecture, it's probably not going to be a revolutionary Um, difference in a revolutionary innovation. And you've got to look beyond um, that architecture to really find the gems in this uh, golden age.
1: Great. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, Great advice. Great knowledge. Thank you so much, Gavin Wood.
2: Thanks for having me on the show.